Blog Talk Radio. fans everywhere. My name is Michael LeColent, otherwise known as the Brooklyn Trolley Blogger. You can get me at the brooklyntrolleyblogger.blogspot.com. And on behalf of my partners, Sam Maxwell and Rich Farago, who tonight are unable to join us, Happy New Year and welcome back to a Metsian podcast. Uh, we here at the podcast wish you a healthier and happier year to come. Uh, this evening, I'm happy to share the airwaves with a prominent member of the Mets podcasting community from Talking Mets podcast, Mike Silva. Hello. Welcome. It's been a little while since we last spoke. Thank you for sharing some time with us this evening. And please take a long moment and tell us everything you're doing and where we can find it. Prominent Mets blogger. That's a great introduction. I think some people would disagree with you on that. I read I read my uh, my Apple podcast uh, reviews. Not everybody would agree with that, but no. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I mean, that was very kind to you. And, and yeah, I mean, TalkingMetsPodcast.com is a weekly podcast. Uh, essentially talk about the team, you know, get some former players on, talk about the minor league system, talk about Mets history. We do a little bit of everything. You know, uh, it's evolved quite a bit over the last – Oh, I've been doing this now 13 years in, in many different formats, but, you know, over the last five or so doing Talking Mets, and uh, the Mets just seem to be that niche, my passion. You know, I love other sports, and I've tried my hand at traditional radio and, and talking about New York sports in general, but talking baseball on the radio, talking Mets, it's it's so it's so synonymous, doing radio, doing this kind of format in baseball, uh, especially Mets fans and the Mets team, and what better way to uh, to do that on a day like today when they, they make a big deal? I wish so many years ago I knew then what I know now. And what oh, really? I <laughs> and what direction I should have taken in life. Because, as you say, talking Mets, put that in quotes, is a lot of fun. And I'm glad to have you uh, a part of this podcast this evening. And uh, I, I say... For a moment, let's rewind back to December. Sure. Mr. Cohen buys the Mets in early November, and I thought they were having a good off season. And we're speaking specifically of December. Uh, there seems to be a, 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 a faction of the fan base that was, I don't know, overly impatient. The sound of silence was killing them. Well, what's your take on that? A little PTSD from the Wilpons. Would you agree? I mean, maybe PTSD. I don't mean to be disrespectful to anybody who that's a real thing. And, and, and you know, it's a, a narrative that I'm putting out there. But um, probably that. I think the hype and the media hype about who this guy is. I mean, how many times have they reported that he's worth whatever, what, $15 billion? Uh, and then, you know, I think the newness of everything. And, and, the, and the off season's always a time where fans get antsy. Uh, uh, you know, I, I think that because of the pandemic, the other sports are not necessarily what they normally are. I don't think the NFL season has been what it is. So NBA just started up. 
maybe the fans are getting a little tired of watching Netflix. And how much Netflix can you watch? I'm sure everybody's got pretty much every show binged that they've binged. So now, you know, you want your hot stove and you're not getting it. And the thing is this, business doesn't run on media. Business doesn't run on what we want. Uh, Free agents don't care that Mike Silva wants to do a show today and wants to report news. Uh, You know, Steve Cohen doesn't want to spend another 25 or $40 million on a free agent because, well, we want this guy now because we we can't handle the fact that he may go somewhere else and we can't handle the stress of possibly not signing anybody. So um, I think at the end of the day, and what always has bothered me is this, well, the Mexican, you know, do something, anything, you know, come on. Like, that's not the way you build teams. And what always has made me laugh is that Mets fans have preached or talked about, you know, structure and patience and having an intelligent front office. And, and now they've got that. I mean, they've got Jared Porter and Zach Scott, who are, are I think, a really good tandem. Each brings what you need out of a front office. One guy's uh, got a scouting background. And the other guy's got a, a, a high-level data background. I mean, what better way you can, you know, combine the two? And, and you've got a, a veteran baseball operations president or president of the, of the whole, you know, shebang in Sandy Alderson. You've got an owner with money. So you got everything you want. Now you just got to sit back and, and let things transpire. And, you know, sometimes that takes time. And, and factor in this pandemic and the economy. And let's not forget the teams have lost 40% of their revenue with – the gate not being available, the Mets included. Measure twice, cut once. That doesn't make for good radio. It doesn't make for good Twitter. It doesn't make for you guys waking up every morning and feeling good about opening up the, uh, I was going to say the paper, but now it's just turn it on the internet, turn it on your computer and going online. Uh, but in the end, I, I think the Mets are going to make good moves because they're smart. They got money and they got a plan. And uh, where that leads them, well, we saw some of that today. So a little long-winded answer, but it's kind of where I'm at with the, you know, the entire situation. Mets fans got to grow up a little bit. Like, you got to just let things develop. And I think the majority are okay with what's going on. I think there's a loud minority that make the most noise, mainly on Twitter. And let's remember, Twitter is not the majority of what the world is, despite the fact that you're on it, I'm on it, and it's a great tool to promote what we're doing right now. Measure twice, cut once. Very well said. Me, I'm forever the pragmatist, or at least I think myself to be that. And, you know, I've always lived by the principle of haste makes waste. So I'm in lockstep with you. Uh, I think they went about this very well, very smartly. You know, they hired a general manager. They hired a bench coach. Uh, They, you know, secured a catcher. They secured a relief pitcher. And this is just December. Uh, and nobody else is making any transactions outside of the Padres. Sure, there was Matt Snell, a lot of talk about Darvish and uh, uh, perhaps Sagano becoming available from Japan. But nobody was doing anything, and, and the Mets were in that lot. And here you go. It's the ones you never see coming that turn out being some of the best trades ever. And a lot of this talk for Lindor died down in December. Uh, we actually mentioned that before we signed off uh, at the end of the year. And we, saw, we were like, wow, uh, a lot of that talk died down, and here we go. Uh, I, I guess our collective guard was down, and here we are. We're in great celebration of this blockbuster trade. Let's get into it. Uh, well, how else can we start? Let's just mention the names. Instance, yeah, I mean, Lindor. look, you get, you get yourself Lindor and Carlos Carrasco, a top 10 offensive player at a premium position. 
uh, Gold Glover, and uh, you know Carrasco, who's a guy that has competed for the Cy Young. You can't. You, you, those are the. You know, he's got some injuries and and obviously some health issues, and thankfully he's made a comeback from the leukemia. But uh, you can't ask for m- more than that when when you go out and at the beginning of the season you land a talent like that and someone with the upside of Carrasco. That's for sure. I was surprised to hear his name included in this. Uh, the last time he pitched was against the Yankees in last year's playoffs. Well, and uh, he didn't perform that well against them. Not to say he's not a good pitcher. Uh, it was a good acquisition, a good addition. Uh, sort of stretches out the rotation. Uh, this, this is just a fantastic acquisition. And considering the price that we paid, Ahmed Rosario, Andres Jimenez, uh, and we'll get into the prospects. Josh Wolf, a right-hander, and outfielder Isaiah Green. Uh, you know, the Mets were, and even Cohen said himself that, you know, this farm system was not equipped to make the kinds of transactions that uh, was being bandied about amongst, uh, you know, the landscape of baseball recently. Uh, and here we go. Like I said, it's the ones that you don't see are usually the best trades ever made. So these prospects, and in regard to what this front office was was saying about their uh, farm system and its present-day condition. Well, the the fact I, – I don't – I don't think the farm system is as barren as people make it out to be. I, first of all, I don't go crazy about Baseball America and blog. Pro, I mean, all due respect, blog prospect list. Like, it, it's all marketing stuff. It's all top line stuff. And I think go back to what Bill James wrote when Jared Porter was hired. He wrote, "There's top line stuff in baseball that everybody sees in the media and talks about. Then there's ground level stuff." And a lot of time with prospects, the ground-level stuff, the stuff that's behind the scenes, the stuff that we will never see because we're not in the front office and we're not in the industry is what determines who's really, truly the prospect and who's not. And I think the reason the Mets system took a hit is because a lot of the guys who are probably where, Sandy Alderson said, in the top five, six, seven, who they like, are nowhere near ready for the big leagues. So maybe from that standpoint – you know, they take a hit. I think a lot of times organizations on reputation and people that feed information are going to get favorable information or favorable rankings on these websites. Let's just face it. Scouts aren't writing these things. They're writers. They're writers who talk to scouts. And they're writers who talk to scouts who have opinions. But let's remember that doesn't mean every organization is out there giving their opinion on every player in a complete and balanced way. So the Mets, I don't think they are a farm system – is as bad as people think. And the fact that they can make this deal, understanding it was a salary dump, understanding that it's an economy that's different than in normal times. I'm not sure a year ago, pre-pandemic, they can make the same type of deal. But the fact that they can make this deal, uh, not really feel the pain that you should acquiring a talent like Lindor and somebody who's still a risk in Carrasco. And you pointed out he didn't pitch well uh, uh, the last couple of years. Uh, He had flashes. And, 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 and you look at it and you say, what's the worst that could happen? Um, we know what Rosario is. We know that, you know, he's talented, but the instincts aren't there and he's inconsistent. And it's not like he's just, you know, been called up. He's had a few years of, in, the, in the game now at the big league level. Jimenez is very intriguing, very interesting, but he's not Lindor. He's a component player, a very good component player that could fit and round up a lot, round up lineup, especially on the defensive side. 
And then you have the pitcher that you have no idea when he's ready and a toolsy outfielder that, look, I didn't see the guy playing Instructs. I heard Jonathan Mayo on MLB Network tonight talk about how good he looked at Instructs. I'll have to take his word for it. You know, he talked to people that were there. I have it. But toolsy athletic players are the kind of guys that always hit the top of these prospect rankings. We always hear how good they are. But when you go to the, the old back of the baseball card or now baseball reference and you look at the actual results and the numbers, they never hit. So I look at it this way, like, it's great to have tools, but we're not building a track team here. We want baseball players. We don't want good bodies. We want baseball players. So forgive me for not crying over someone who's raw talent, who could be very good, but probably needs a lot of stuff to happen to bring it all together. And that's a good situation for Cleveland where they're at. That's not a situation where the Mets are at. So what's the pain here? The pain is you gave up assets and maybe you only get one year of Lindor. Uh, to me, I don't think any of these guys is going to come back and haunt the Mets in a way where we'll be talking about these players like everyone's still talking about Jared Kelnick, who, by the way, I'm not quite sure Jared Kelnick is a Hall of Famer. He's very good. I think we'll, we'll see what happens there because I still feel like uh, the legend of Jared Kelnick may not match up the reality of Jared Kelnick. Separate story. I don't want to get off track, but, but you get where I'm going. <laughs> The pain, yeah. the pain here. I don't see where the pain's going to come from, and that's why I'm okay with this. I was the, I was against. Like I kept telling people on Twitter all winter, even on the, on the, on the show, on Talking Mets. I don't see them going after Lindor or Arenado. They can't. They, you know, they're going to give up too much. But the days of giving up a top prospect and and having give up a McNeil or a Nimmo or one of those guys, you know, that's not happening because teams don't want to take on any payroll, and they don't want to win. So when you factor those in, you know, the Mets are in a perfect position to benefit, and there they go. They, they were able to use their financial might that they have now, and the fact that they have a deeper farm system than people give them credit for. And, oh, by the way, the guy you hated out the door, Brody Van Wagenen, he had something to do with that. So, you know, you don't want to give him credit. That's fine. But he swung for the fences with a unique draft philosophy by going for a lot of quality early rounds, and that's why they can make this deal. You know, without Brody's draft the way he did it, they may not make this deal. So they will throw something so many, out there. So many touching points. Uh, I'm not feeling that pain. You know, historically, uh, there have been mega block, you know, blockbuster trades before. Gary Carter, Frank Viola, Mike Piazza, Johan Santana. The only one I ever really felt pain over was Hubie Brooks in, in, involved <laughs> in the Gary Carter trade. Other than that, I think uh, this is very price-worthy. Uh, I'm doing cartwheels. Uh, I'm not feeling any kind of pain. And uh, by the way, very... not to interrupt you, that Gary Carter yeah. trade, by today's standards, in some walks of, of, of baseball, is a bad trade. You got a catcher on the wrong side of 30 with bad knees, and you gave up multiple young players. That would be <laughs> excoriated. I'm serious. Think back to where we are today. Frank Cashin would have been uh, tarred and feathered by certain – uh, media members for making that deal. And look how we look at it now, what, 40 years later. It's amazing, and there's right? your hot take of the night. <laughs> um, no, I, I, let me tell you, that's a hot take. I, 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 I think that's actually maybe you're right, but think about it. I said this to people. Uh, and, and, and I remember talking to Frank Cashin, the late Frank Cashin, at Mets Hall of Fame uh, weekend uh, about 10 years ago. And he said to me, John McHale, who was the GM, 
uh, said, we can't let this get out because if the Expos fans find out we're trading Gary Carter, I'll be murdered. That's why they kept it a secret. Today's day and age, they'd be all over MLB Network, and they'd be like, you know, what? Hubie Brooks is great. You know, this is a great package. The Expos would love it. Expos fans would love it. No, so. you're right. The, the reaction sure. today would be far far more different. Uh, I want right. to touch upon a couple of things. Uh, Sandy Alderson, Jared Porter, and I want to talk George Springer and money. Before I do that, you sure. brought up an interesting point, Brody Van Wagenen. Uh, isn't it somewhat ironic that Brody Van Wagenen raided away from the Red Sox executive Albert Baird and Jared Banner, only to have Steve Cohen's incoming uh, regime purge everyone, including Banner and Baird, uh, only to revert right back to raiding the Red Sox and hiring Zach Scott, who just sure. so happened to work with Jared Porter when they were at the Red Sox. Uh, I, yeah. I just find that a little bit ironic. The purge, everything centering around the Red Sox. I mean, was the uh, dismissal of Allard Baird and Jared Banner necessary? I mean, they all came from the same school, no? I mean, I've always wondered. I mean, one day we'll find out more. I think it goes back to just uh, fumigating anything that had to do with yeah, the old okay, regime. Well, cool. you, you really look when you go in from a politic from politics. Let's just talk about baseball politics. Can you really? Blame them because you know the last thing you want is a move to be tied to anybody and say, "Well, Barrett is still there. That's a Wilpon, uh, you know, holdover." Uh, you know, I think Brody and I don't blame him for not sticking around. Would have had a value in a front office. Look, Brody Van Wagenen was working under the same constraints and challenges that Sandy Alderson did, that Omar Manaya did. You know, it wasn't a different owner. They had cash flow issues. We knew this for years. You know, one of the things is. And maybe I'm going and talking about something that doesn't matter on a day like today, but it's important. Um, I never defended the owners. I accepted them because I couldn't change it and tried to figure out ways to talk about the team and how they could be successful within the confines of what reality was. Whining about a new owner for 15 years to me was a colossal waste of time. And knowing a little bit of what was going on, I felt like, hey, eventually this this, this kick in the debt can down the curb is going to run out. And uh, in a sick way, you know, the pandemic is probably why Steve Cohen's here, because it, it, it accelerated the issues they had financially in a big way. Um, so the fact of the matter is that Brody, I think, brought some things to the table, um, but it was the wrong place, wrong time. And definitely, I think one trade is where nobody could ever get over it. So, but, the, but it goes back to look at what the farm system is, and I think Brody's legacy will be he was able to, in two short years, bring in some high, up, uh, high upside talent. And, and that's not easy to do right away, you know, and, uh, and, and, and give him credit. It was a unique way of drafting, and I think that's where they're at now. And maybe – Maybe three years from now, four years from now, as some of these players start to make it to the big leagues, maybe he'll be talked about like Omar was talked about in 2015 when the Mets made it to the World Series. So um, it's just a way of rethinking about things. Sometimes we think of things too black and white and good and bad, and, and not everything was bad over the last few years. For the moment, I find it somewhat humorous that everyone's still shaking their pom-poms at Sandy, 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 I, I think through conditioning for being so familiar with him, and nobody getting around to saying Porter, 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 yes. You know, and he's our general manager. Again, I think this is a matter of conditioning. And at some point, this man's name needs to enter the conversation, especially when we're speaking of this Lindor transaction. 
Well, the question is, I think this is all, as much a Sandy Alderson transaction as a Porter. I mean, Porter's been here, what, two weeks? Uh, this, no one's also talking about how impossible the situation this is. You have an ownership change that closed on November 1st, uh, no organizational meetings, no front office, basically Alderson in a, in a scouting department going in in November on the fly trying to build a team that can contend – and start to lay the framework for infrastructure to be a much more efficient, sustainably winning team and culture going forward. Um, you can do that a lot easier when you're tanking. So I got to give them credit. You know, Cohen could have came in and said, you know, I don't care if I'm a billionaire. I don't care if I'm the richest owner. I want to do this right. Let's trash this thing because what are we going to do? We're going to fly by the seat of our pants and try to win and piss my money away for a year or two. Uh, when I could just take the easy way out. And, I, and I'll tell you, fans would be pissed, but I think they would have accepted it, and the media would have applauded it because they wanted to do it two years earlier when you know Brody came in. So to do what they've done, bring in a GM, bring in an assistant GM, in the process of while trying to negotiate trades, free agents, and whatnot, I mean, I'm not, I've criticized Sandy, and, and, you know, and I know a lot of it is not all his fault, but he's a methodical guy, and he's a frustrating guy, and I think a lot of – what Met fans were mad about was, you know, Sandy's personality be very methodical. Um, it's not sexy all the time. But give the guy credit. He came in, took on this job at his age. He didn't need this crap. And he's taking on multiple different difficult tasks at the same time in a market that, that's unforgiving and a team and a fan base that is at a critical juncture in their history. They have a chance to really do something special and seize a generation of Mets fans. They've blown every other opportunity to do that in the last 30 years since the 86 World Series. Think about that. They blew the 2000 situation. They blew the 2006 situation. They blew the 2015 situation where they could have done that. Now he's trying to do that, and, you know, this could be – this goes bad. You know, it could be another blown opportunity. It could be another decade before you get this chance again. So give him a lot of credit on that, and just remember how difficult what he's doing is in the context of all the stuff that goes into running a professional baseball team. Without a doubt, uh, I've been I've been greatly appreciative of the process. Uh, so I'm with you. I'm with you on that one. Uh, very quickly, let's get into matters of money because this isn't as easy as some may think it might be for a, a multi-billionaire. Uh, everyone wants George Springer now. Uh, Lindor, obviously, you don't make this trade unless you have intentions of signing and extending him to a long-term contract. But George Springer is still out there. Mets fans want him. He's the topic of conversation. question about him is, does he still seek to break the bank, or does he come down to a more reasonable price to join in on the potential fund that's about to take place in Flushing, A, we all, you know, that's A. And B, we know Lindor is going to earn Robinson's, Cano, Robinson's Cano's money this year. But when Cano comes back, you know, uh, the payroll is going to jump exponentially because he's back on the books. And that somewhat complicates things. Uh, again, there's that drunken sailor reference and, and things of that nature. And, you know, Cohen's not here to run this operation irresponsibly. I I think Springer is much more realistic than Bauer in the sense I think Bauer is going to have a lot more options 
think he's a lot more suitors, and I think the price tag could get a little more expensive as time goes on. At the end, I think he's going to get Patrick Corbin money. Look at Patrick Corbin's contract. Just go to history of contracts and see like pitchers, John Lester, Patrick Corbin, Zach Grinke. These are contracts in the last 10 years, five years. That's what he's going to get. And that's okay. That's reasonable. Um, George Springer, who doesn't come without warts, by the way, is a guy that you know had 30 good days the last pa- this past season. Also is going to have to deal with the sign-stealing nonsense because every Astro player has to do their make culpa on this nonsense. Different conversation. But from the area, uh, and it looks like it's Toronto and the Mets, and, and you don't hear much about the Astros. Maybe they're just hanging back to see if this thing could fall back to them. So he's got, in my opinion, and we, maybe there's other suitors, but let's just go by what we know in terms of public knowledge. He's got Canada, high taxes, no ballpark, maybe a nice team that you know, has a chance to win and do something special, but a lot of uncertainty there. I don't know. Who knows when they're going to be able to play in Canada again? Uh, certainly I don't think this year at the beginning, and maybe not at all until 2022. And it's not exactly the, the dollars that they'd be, you know, dollar for dollar, United States and Canada, you're losing in Canada. I mean, that's just fact. Anybody who knows anything basic about taxes. So the value of a Mets contract is better. Now that Lindor's been brought in, the Mets' desperation to bring in that bat Although, albeit, if, if there's a DH, they still need another outfielder. So it's not like they don't need an outfielder. But the overall need to improve the offense has lessened after today's deal. And they can hang back and say, look, George, we've talked about, whatever, five years, 125. You want to go to Canada? We're very upset. But this is the best we can do. And you can live with that. And you could play the long game. What Alderson gave you an indication as to what the issue is right now is that all the big free agents want to play the long game. Bauer, Real Muto, Springer. And they were not willing the Mets to play musical chairs to the level where you could risk not being without a chair in, in all these areas. So they went McCann quick and said, let's just do that. And then they went long game with the other two, knowing they had the ace in the hole with the deal. Now they could continue to play the long game with those guys. And and be somewhat of a situation where you could swoop in, and maybe you even get, you know, some of these guys might say this economy stinks. Let me take a, a shorter term deal than I normally would, and get back out there in two years or whatever. I don't think that'll happen with those two guys, but it's but it's an option. It's an option. It's all leverage. It goes back to what I said. This is negotiation. The one thing I could say about Alderson, he's methodical, but he's not stupid. He now has money and poker chips where he could actually play poker where he's not always the guy that's on the wrong side of the negotiation or the wrong side of the, you know, the hand. And it's a nice place to be, and I think that's exactly where you're at. So I think he's still an option. It's trickier, especially if you want to stay below the, the luxury tax. But how badly does he want to play in New York? And, you know, okay, the Blue Jays got a great offer. Okay, here's what I got. And you say, no, I'm much more comfortable with losing you now than I was before. Are you comfortable not coming here and going to Toronto? Are you comfortable having just the Blue Jays as your option? You know, Springer's a big loser here, in my opinion. Again, we don't know if there's other teams. There could be. But if you go by public knowledge, right now it's the Blue Jays. And he just lost himself somebody who was a little bit more desperate 24 hours ago for his services than they are now. You're listening to Metsian Podcast and sharing the airwaves with me this evening is Mike Silva from Talking Mets Podcast. Hey, Mike, uh, before I let you go, uh, what do you say we field the phone call? Sure. No problem.
see what we got. Caller from 631 area code? Long Island, look at that. Suffolk County. Hello, Caller, are you still there? I know you've been holding for a little bit. Going once? Going twice? Hey, hey, uh, this is Corey from Mets Fans United. Hello, Corey. Corey. How are you, sir? Glad to hear from you. What's going on, guys? Not much. What's on your mind? You tell me. <laughs> Pretty excited about the trade. Um, I think it. Uh, I think that it points to maybe going to somewhere like Jackie Bradley Jr. Uh, for center field. Um, I don't know about Springer. I think pitching is still a uh, very important um, spot to address. I don't know that they go Bauer. Um, probably thinking like a Odorizzi, Tanaka type deal, um, if they were to go that route. Um, I think that uh, Springer may be out of their out of their range. I'm not I mean, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. It's they're very tight lipped, um, as we all know. So it's it's been that way, I mean, since he's taken over. So I I expect that he said, I mean, like Steve Cohen said, he's not afraid to go over the luxury tax. If it makes sense to make the move, he's going to do it. He's going to pull the trigger. I mean, whether it does make sense to sign Springer right away, right now, I mean, that's really up to them. But, I mean, I, uh, I think pitching first and foremost and a uh, solid defender in center is, uh, is the most important thing. I could agree with that. I think he's, he's on to a lot of points there. I, I, and look, if they want to do quantity instead of you know big fish, I can't blame them. Uh, I think you'll be surprised how this. I mean, I think you look at this market and if you wait till February first, the anxiety level that these players are going to get going into February first without a job, with the unique situation of uncertainty. And let's also remember, guys. Let's remember something. They may not get a 162 game paycheck. I don't think the union's going to let them take a haircut again this year. Um, right, but let's face it: if they have to because of public health, you know, what are they going to do? The union's going to come out and and get sympathy over that. The amazing thing is the players really don't get a lot of sympathy, and they're really the victims here. And it's really well said and done. They look at they look they're looked at as the rich guys, two rich guys, two parties that are rich guys, and one is looked at not being rich, and that's the players, you know, or the, excuse me, the owners, and, and they're the richest ones of right. all of us. So, um, right. but I I. I I I I can live with that. I I really think the Mets are in a position where they can play this market. They can sit back. They can hang back. They've never been able to do that. I mean, the, the last time I can remember them trying to benefit from something like this was maybe Vlad Guerrero. If you guys remember, Vlad Guerrero was on the market till like February, and they had a I chance. Did, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they had a chance to sign him, and they let Anaheim do that. And then he goes out and he wins the MVP. Yeah. So. Um, think about that, you know, you'd be surprised. And, and Sandy did kind of indicate, hey, we're always hungry, but they're hungry for the right price and the right portions. And and, uh, and I think it goes back to the fans being upset with the methodical nature of what's been going on. These guys are smart. They're no dummies. they got a guy who's beyond wealthy, beyond belief. And, and uh, as much as I could criticize, and Alderson has agitated me at times, a guy who's done a lot in baseball and experienced a lot. So I, I think – I think we got to trust that they know a little bit more than anything that you you know yeah. or I know or, or the fans know at, right. at this point. 
I think that you guys made a good point before about, um, you know, nobody's really mentioning Porter or any of the other guys brought in, you know, Scott. Um, so, I mean, I think that they do have a lot, well, obviously a lot to do with what's going on here. I think a lot of it is um, from the past regime of, of looking at Jeff Wilpon and, you know, and uh, Brody, Sandy in the past, you know, Omar. I mean, it's it's always been a collaboration between them. Where now, I mean, I don't. We really don't know what it is. I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure that Steve's letting the baseball guys do their own thing. But I mean, um, I think that that's why uh, Mets fans are not recognizing, or even the media for that matter, isn't really even recognizing Porter. You know. Um, as making these moves, and I mean, how how responsible is he? Is did he come in knowing, you know, what they want to do? It's 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 all uh, it's all very interesting to think about. Like, is how much of this is Sandy, and how much of this is Cohen? How much is Porter, or is it somewhere in between? Uh, I talked to someone well, in the media. On the, on the, I actually talked to someone in the media uh, tonight, and they said something to me like, "I don't know what to think about Jared Porter." And I said, "You know, that's fair. I mean, he's." He's young. Yeah. He's unassuming. He's uh, he's certainly smart, and I and all I can say is I think you got the best of both worlds between Zach Scott and Jared Porter. You got one who's done a ton of work analytically, and if you listen to his the Feinstein podcast, the fact that uh, and I, I don't know if you guys played this game. I remember Diamond Mine and Diamond Legends about 20 years ago was a pretty cool fantasy game, and they were ahead yeah, yeah. analytically <laughs> and statistically. Uh, yeah, from baseball, sure. and, and and he worked there. Uh, that's interesting. And, yeah, uh, and Porter's got a scouting background, so you know you got everything you need. But I go back to what I said earlier: ground level. Bill James said it best: top level, ground level. It's about the ground level stuff. The Mets haven't had that, and that's what the difference is now. And and that's the stuff that right. you're not going to see on Twitter. I mean, and that's just you know yeah. comes down to it. It's well, true. Yeah, you're right. I believe- for the moment, I believe the operational conviction is coming from Sandy Alderson, although uh, Porter and the other people, I believe, uh, have great in, – in, in this short period of time, have had great input, especially into this trade. I believe they did add. But the conviction is definitely coming from Sandy Alderson. And the directive comes from above. Uh, you know, uh, Sandy can go mm-hmm. about his business with great confidence now. Uh, and, it's, and it's showing. Uh, the guy is absolutely going. So uh, we're in a good spot. Uh, celebration day. Uh, congratulations to Metsville and everyone. Uh, we uh, planned a short show tonight. We just wanted to get on the air, say Happy New Year to all, and, uh, you know, talk about this great transaction that was made today for Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco. So, gentlemen, uh, while I have you, I will ask you both for your last word moving forward. And, uh, on behalf of Mets uh, Fans United, go right ahead, sir. I just want to say Happy New Year, and, I mean, we'll see what's, what happens next. <laughs> definitely an exciting day. Um, definitely a W for the franchise. Um, and then, you know, just what whatever's next. Let's, do, let's take it one day at a time. There you go. Pragmatism. I love it. You, 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 you sing my song. Mike, thank you again for your time this evening. Appreciate your insight. Uh, a lot of fun talking to you. Uh, your final words, sir. And before you do that, please uh, give us a rundown, what you're doing, where we can find it, please. 
Oh, that's very nice. Yeah, talkamentspodcast.com. It'll bring you to the Apple uh, uh, homepage of that, and you can subscribe. It's free, and, you know, try to get a little bit of current Mets talk. I, I try to get former players on, talk about the farm system, talk about the history of the Mets, you know, give – I try to do this, you know, bridge between the mainstream and the fans. I try to, I try to look at things from both perspectives because – Obviously, everybody's got their own agenda. Fans have their agenda. Media has a job to do. So that's really what you get there. Um, and I think I do a pretty good job of that. And, and, and give my little space in the Mets universe. That's all I'm looking at is my little space. I'm not looking to be the man here at all. But um, as far as my final words, I think the biggest lesson we could take away from today is that patience. Take a deep breath. There's a lot going on. There's a lot to running a baseball team. And you cannot run a baseball team so you could win the offseason, win Twitter, win the front page. You do those things, you go back to the same issues that you've had for, what, 15 years, 20 years, whatever, and I think you should feel good that, and I keep going back, I'll say it for the third time, think about what Bill James said in that little piece about Jared Porter, ground-level stuff, the not-sexy grind that every organization who wins does well is what the Mets are working on now, and I think uh, they have been trying to work on that for the last couple of years, and I think now they can kind of bring it all together, and uh, I think that's why you saw what you saw today in a, in a, in a trade that, in the long run, I think the Mets uh, are going to make out a lot more than what the Indians would in terms of where they are in each of their respective positions in, uh, in the standings. I will just repeat, haste makes waste. I like what sure. we're doing. I like the pace that we're, you know, we're moving uh, all is well. It's just we're the ones who need to change and adapt. Sure. You know, we've been conditioned for 18 years under the sole ownership of the Will Pond slash Cats. Uh, I won't bring Mr. Doubleday into this, but for 18 years <laughs> we've been conditioned, and it's us. The change is upon us, folks. Come on, Met fans. Stop with this yeah. overreaction, knee-jerk uh, critiquing of somebody who very benevolently came in and stepped in and purchased this team for who? Us, the fans, quote, unquote. So uh, with that, I will say congratulations, Mike. Thanks again. Thanks on behalf of Sam and Rich, a Metsian podcast. We appreciate, again, your time and your insights. Happy New Year to you. And on behalf of both Talking Mets podcast and a Metsian podcast, we all bid you a very healthy and happy New Year to come. Thanks again, Mike. Good night, and good night to all. Good night. Good night, guys.